the Feast of Trumpets. This is Jesus, the patterned son, an attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, which is to say a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Feast of Trumpets. My name is Sharon Sarles, and this will be posted on Jesus, the patterned son. Welcome back. All right, the Feast of Trumpet. To define this, this is the fourth of seven feasts of Israel, the seven Moads. It's often called Rosh Hashanah, or better, Rosh Hashanah. So this is the first of the fall feasts. We're all clear that Passover is about Jesus' first coming, his death, his resurrection. Well, the resurrection may be the first fruits. We're all clear on Pentecost being about the infilling of the spirit of the church. And there seems to be a great hunger now to understand about the fall feasts. But from my eyes, there's a paucity of teaching and so I felt called to equip you all with some basics, a, a, a more broad, more grounded basics. So there have been some good stabs at it in, in the books that have been written, but nothing really comprehensive in my eyes and going to enter into to that really after a lifetime of reflection. So some of you know that uh, I was spiritually formed in an end time movement that dealt with the feast uh, very much from a allegorical or typological, really a typological method. And that's being done very little in the Messianic movement. And that wasn't done in a scholarly way. But anyway, I'm hoping to bring it all together for you and then ability to equip you. Now, my experience is that the, the grounding and the actual text of the Bible is the most helpful after so many decades. And so I'm going to be heavy on that. So the mission of this episode is to teach about the feast more than to preach, to define it, to give it breadth, to ground it in the Bible text. And this will be especially useful specifically for preachers and for teachers. So rather than today preaching a rousing sermon myself, although this could be done at many points here, then I want to undergird support equip you to do that. I want to hear you preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel from the trumpets. And yes, we participate in the gospel, most especially in trumpeting it forth. And yes, the people of God are involved in the typology of the fall feasts, whereas Jesus' work was Jesus. Although some people were quite honored to to be among those who first heard him and who first were his disciples and his first apostles. 
but some of us have been honored to live in the later days and we I think we all agree even if we don't agree on the exact timeline we all know we're in the latter days and so we are called to be preaching Jesus we preach Jesus we worship the Lord and we proclaim Jesus as Lord and we uh, like he did proclaim repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and this very trumpet is itself a warning as well as an announcement of the coming king which you will understand a whole lot more by the end of this episode so in terms of some background think about what a trumpet is think about a time period where you had no other amplification and you needed to have something loud to announce things loud communication because you had no other means you had no cell phones no texting <laughs> and no amplification system so a trumpet fulfilled all of those needs I've told you already about how we cut our eye teeth on the typological preaching for the the feasts and in particular the tabernacle and the clothing of the high priest and all of that however with the tabernacle that was based on a diagram we seldom opened up scripture so today I'm going to be very careful to open up the scripture and back in those days the feast of trumpets was defined as the portion of the end time where the Word of God the new revelation was trumpeted forth and of course that's not crazy and cracked but that's not a full spectrum okay so um, you know I noticed that many of us in those days <laughs> there there was something great and um, something really great and some of the most treasured times were our most treasured memories are those scripture songs and so many of us can break out into singing blow a trumpet in Zion and let God arise his enemies be scattered and can a nation born in a day so and now people are having great fun with blowing of trumpets uh, blowing of shofars and now it's not just one or two people in a larger congregation but a whole congregations where they have shofar blowing classes and they'll be breaking out a pair of silver trumpets for their celebration of the feast of trumpets and this is going to be wonderful memories for them but it's time that we open up scripture and study it so that we can find the very rich deep meaning okay so the first basic scripture for the Feast of Trumpets is Leviticus 23 starting in verse 23 and the Lord spake unto Moses saying speak unto the children of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month you shall have a Sabbath a memorial of blowing of the trumpets a holy convocation seventh month first day be a Sabbath a blowing 
of the trumpet. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be on one of those seventh days. It means that this day is a holy day, so it will be a Sabbath, a day of rest also. Okay, so notice it's the seventh month. <laughs> okay, uh, whereas Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year is the first part of the year, and we'll explain that later. Leviticus 23, resuming in verse 25, you shall do no servile work therein, so this is the Sabbath, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Okay, so this is called Yom Teruah, okay, or the day for blowing, Yom meaning day, and Ruach. Notice it's very similar to Ruach, okay, uh, which we use for, for spirit, the word for spirit. Now, after the loss of the temple, when the children of Israel, and specifically Judah, were in Babylon, they no longer had the temple, and so they no longer had access to a more formal nationwide ceremony, and they didn't have their silver trumpets, so they began blowing shofars. Of course, they had been blowing shofars all along, because these are horns made out of animal horns, at that time, then, the shofars had gold or silver mouthpieces and several shofars blowing to, being blown together. So shofarim, <laughs> the im being the plural ending. All right. So it was at this point that the Feast of Trumpets began to be called Rosh Hashanah, the, the beginning of the year. So there were actually four different points in a year that you could say it was the new year, but it was... Babylonian experience where the Jews started to call Feast of Trumpets Rosh Hashanah, but really <laughs> the first of the year is at Passover and not not this way, but anyway, so that's why there is this confusion about what is the first of the year. So from the Bible text in Leviticus, we have the Feast of Trumpets in the seventh month, in the fall, okay? So, yes, the Jews are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. That's what they're calling the Feast of Trumpets, but that's why we are calling this the Feast of Trumpets, okay? Okay, so I'm not opposed to learning about the Jewish tradition, quite the contrary, uh, but I'm not going to put as much stock in it as in the canonical Bible and, and as in the pre-Jesus writings, okay, because there are some intertestamental writings like the Midrash Rabbah that are very Christological, but the post-Jesus writings are of a different nature, in my opinion, okay? So back to trumpets. So let's read about the silver trumpets. That's in Numbers 10 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeyings of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but one 
but blow but with one trumpet, then the princes, which are the heads of the household of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. When you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Verse 10, And also in the day of your gladness, and in your solemn days, and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God, I am the Lord your God. Okay, so here we see the silver trumpets, and we see a number of uses for those trumpets. A convocation, an alarm, a moving of the camp, war, and days of gladness and in solemn assemblies. Also for the new moons, which is the beginning of months. Okay, and blowing over the sacrifices. Okay. Next, I wanted to define the last trump and the great trump. I'll give you a couple of scriptures and I'll tell you my tentative conclusions. So, of course, you're familiar with 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, but more especially 1 Corinthians 15 and 52 that speaks of the last trump. But there's very little indexed in the King James Old Testament that's going to say the last trump. But we are given to understand that on the in the blowing of the trumpets in the temple, there was the last of those trumpets that was blown on the Feast of Trumpets. That was the last trump and that this was special and known. The last trump was long and loud. There is reference to a long blast in Exodus 19, which we'll read. But then I understand there's also a trumpet blown on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So I'm given to understand that that is the great trumpet. The great trumpet happens on Yom Kippur. So is there anything keyed in the King James Bible concordance about great trumpet? And the answer is yes. Isaiah 27 and 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. So this is a great prophetic word Isaiah 27 and 13 which proclaims that the children will be gathered out of Assyria and out of Egypt right so this is prophetic and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem of of course we do understand that there is a literal fulfillment of that that we've already seen that that literal 
is Jews and Israelis have literally come back to the literal land, but we would understand this also spiritually. So this becomes a question here, the last Trump and the great Trump. There may be a great Trump after the last Trump. So we'll hold that, that question and go through the more pertinent scriptures about trumpets in in more of a topical order, I would encourage you all to get into your electronic concordances and put in trumpet and trump, and you'll find all the scriptures there. This is an easy enough thing to do. We do need to move beyond concordances keyed only to the King James, because King James scripture, while wonderful for for memorization because of, of wonder, the level of English that it has, was not necessarily the best translation. It'd be much better if we had concordances in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, but I don't have that at any rate. So anyway, let's go through some of the more pertinent scriptures. So this is not exhaustive. You go do your own concordance study for something exhaustive. But we have already seen that the trumpets are used for a number of purposes. There were silver trumpets in the temple, and there were shofars both before and certainly after the temple. And I want to say a little bit about, at this point, why I'm not picking up so much on the Judaic writings after the destruction of the second temple. Because there is history, and, and actually a, a Jew himself explained this to me, a Messianic Jew, and I believe he said it was in the Mishnah, that there is history during the Roman siege, during the Roman siege around Jerusalem, that there was a, a sound like thunder that some understood to say, let us go forth hence. And the great gates in front of the temple moved by themselves and opened. Big enough gates that several men would have had to move them, but there were no men there, and the gates opened. And to this man, who was relating this to me, said he found this extremely important because it was a hostile witness to Jesus. He understood this, and, and I, I would read this too, as this is the Spirit of God, or this is God in the Trinity, making it known that he was departing from the temple because his presence was not welcome in Jerusalem. They had crucified and rejected his son. The Christians had left because they had been prophetically warned about the Roman siege. And so God left and the temple was desecrated. All the gold and stuff was taken off. And you can see that pictured in a Roman arch in Rome, uh, the Titus Arch. And so, if the Jews themselves wrote about this, of course, some of the uh, uh, Jewish officials said, no, it just, it just, they didn't hear the words, but they said, no, that's just uh, thunder. Uh, well, okay, 
But for Christians, that's a very important because it's a witness, even though it's from a hostile source. Okay, so no wonder then that things have changed and we have, specifically, we have Rosh Hashanah instead of the Feast of Trumpets because the preaching of Jesus, the trumpeting forth of warning and, and the trumpeting forth of God's presence was not heard. Okay, so back to scripture. The first would be Exodus 19, and you'll see that in this case, the trumpets announce God's presence and call a convocation. So let's start with Exodus 19 and verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, and it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto them, Be ready against the third day, and come not at your wives. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mount. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Okay, that's in Exodus 19 and 20. So we see that it was a convocation and it was announcing of God's presence. More tantalizingly, it was a long and exceeding loud voice. God came down, and in this case, humans came up to the foot of the mountain, but Moses went up. So that's very much like the pattern of the rapture that we are looking for. Rapture being simply from the Latin, meaning to be caught up. So let's not default to our usual fights. Let's not default to our usual brain ruts, but let's just bask in the Word of God, saturate in the Word of God, and see what new revelation we can get, yes? You see, I think the most important debate is how literal and how spiritual is this? And spiritual catching up, of course, is equally as real. 
But the point is, the point is, let's go up as far as we can on the mountain. Even the folks in that day could go up to the foot of the mountain. And there are no boundaries now. There are no boundaries because the veil has been torn even into the holy of holies, the holiest of holies. The veil has been torn. And the altar of incense is now inside of the holiest of holies. Read Hebrews, okay? So the doors on the gates of heaven are not locked. Okay, that maybe I should go back to, okay. <laughs> there are no boundaries. So we should endeavor to live the crucified life and live in the spirit as much as possible, yes, while we are here on earth, yes, even though there will be a great day of, of wrapping up, okay? So there's a very good sermon opportunity right there. Numbers 10 and 4, similarly, if they blow with one trumpet, then, okay, well, we read Numbers 10, okay? And Nehemiah 4 and 20. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither to us, and our God shall fight for us. So this is in battle, but also it's calling people together. And this continued to be the case with announcing of royalty, 1 Kings 1 and 34, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him, meaning Solomon, their king over Israel, and blow ye with the trumpet, and say, God save King Solomon. And of course, we see that even to this very day, that kings like to be announced with trumpets, and actually silver trumpets. I think we all have that picture emblazoned in our minds, the medieval type heralds with a long silver trumpet and banners from those trumpets and so forth. And that's exactly what the, the silver trumpets appear to have been like, long silver trumpets, uh, at least uh, if the Messianic community has it right at all. Okay. Jeremiah 4 and 5, declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, blow ye the trumpet in the land, cry, gather together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the defensed cities. Also for alarm and warning, Isaiah 58 and 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. So as we go forth forward in time through scripture, we see it more, more spiritual, more allegorical, and so, in this case, a warning about sin is compared to a trumpet. Ezekiel 33 and 3. If, when, the watchman seeth the sword come upon the land, and he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Okay, so here we are talking about trumpet 
used for warning in a prophetic book. And so very likely in a spiritual sense, and we can apply that clearly to the gospel. We need to be preaching the gospel. Okay. Hosea 8 and verse 1. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Okay. Very much warning. Isaiah 58 and 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Notice, specific instructions to warn the people about their sin, their transgression. We've already read Ezekiel, Zephaniah 1 and 16 the day of the trumpet and alarmed against the fenced cities and against the high towers. Let's just look at the context there for a minute. Okay, let's read that in context. So we've got Zephaniah, the first chapter, starting in verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wastedness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, the day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by fire of his jealousy, for he shall make a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Wow. Well, that's alarm and warning. Okay, so a trumpet also comes up with war and a war cry. Of course, you're familiar with Joshua 6, with the fall of Jericho, and we'll just read a small portion of that story because I'm sure you're familiar with it. Jericho 6 and 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel, and none went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thou shalt do six days. And verse seven, at, verse f- six and four, verse four, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day you shall compass city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him wow notice that a long last blast of the shofar or shofarim in this case and each man ascends straight up 
before him. Ho, ho, ho. So we'll hold the thought trying to decide between the two most popular timelines on the end time. But do you see we've got we've got symbolism for both? Mm, very, very intriguing. So let me just give you a little background here that the city of Jericho, like so many others in that day, was a bit on a hill, on a hill, and they had two tall walls. So if you were on the, the ground level outside, you had a nine-foot wall, and then there was a further steep incline and another wall, nine-foot wall. So you were looking up 50 feet. And so this was going to be a, a near impracticality to to ascend. You know, they didn't have trebuchets, <laughs> and they didn't have cannons <laughs> in this time. We're talking about the Bronze Age. And so this was clearly a miracle, and we've seen archaeological evidence that the walls did fall down flat, and the rubble made then an incline for the men to walk up. That's exactly what happened. Okay, so Jericho clearly about clearly able to apply to the end times and to the trump of God in terms of the gospel, in terms of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you understand that was the first preaching of the gospel. Okay, um, law first mention. Okay, back to Judges 6 and verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abietzer was gathered after him. Judges 7 and 16, and he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Noticing lamp, pitcher, trumpet, spirituality, service, and preaching. So this was Gideon's supernatural warfare based on dream and probably also the memory of Joshua and Judges 7 and 18. And when I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay, maybe he shouldn't have said and of Gideon. But you see here, it's not just one trumpet, but everybody had a trumpet. Ah, very, very important typologically. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Okay. Second Samuel 2 and 28. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more, neither fought they any more. So this Joab was the general for Saul at this point, and it records that Saul called his army to stop and not to pursue, didn't pursue after Israel. Oh, scary. So so at this point, there's fighting between various factions, David and Saul. But anyway, the trumpet was also used to tell the army to stop. And I'll let you um, get a revelation on that yourself for your own study. Okay, Zechariah 9 and 14. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. 
So here it's God blowing a trumpet. Here it's judgment on Greece in apparent war. Okay, which is pretty interesting. Zechariah, much before Maccabees. Okay, Jeremiah 4 and 19. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh the noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Okay, so this is anguish at Judah's desolation. And in 18, Jeremiah 4 and 18, Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. It is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reacheth into thine heart. And then my bowels, my bowels. I've heard the sound of the trumpet. Jeremiah 4 and 20, Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled, and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish, they have not known me. They are sottish children, and they and none have understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. So Jeremiah is lamenting because he has seen Judah lose in a war because of their sin. So this is the trumpet used about war, and you can see it's used prophetically. Okay, then going on. It's used in terms of remembrance and thus convocation also. Again, ominously in Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a sign of fire at Beth Hacharem, for evil appeareth out of the north and great destruction. And skipping down to verse 8, Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Okay, so once again, it's, it's a warning. Joel 2 and 15, so much happier. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, and call a solemn assembly. So in this case, it's solemn, but it's a call to people to come together. That was 14. Let's read. That was 15. Let's read 14. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast call of solemn assembly. 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck on the breast, let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests and ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, give not thine, her thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Of course, we already saw in Numbers and in Exodus, where people were called. And then lastly, let's go to the revelation of Jesus Christ, according to John, the last book in the Bible. And let me just read you the mentions of trumpet there. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So God's voice sounds like a trumpet. Jesus. Four and one. 
After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show these things. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So, Rindolent with meaning, of course, we know the story that John, the revelator, was caught up to heaven and saw the things of the end time. And I have much to say about that. Also, there's a pattern that I have never heard anybody preach on. A pattern of seven and, you know, everything goes in a pattern. We, we're still in the patterns from the beginning. Well, we're already in the patterns of the end, even if we're not to the end of the end. But anyway, Revelation, uh, for another day, Revelation 8 and 13. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Okay, so these angels are announcing woe and warnings. And really the coming of the presence of God as royalty eventually. Okay, Revelation 9 and 14. Saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet... Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. All right, so these six angels slay or slew a third part of men. So it's not at all hard to imagine this at this time. But these angels, these six that were at the great river Euphrates, are associated with brimstone. So I'm going to take them as fallen angels. So the the sixth angel with the trumpet loosed these these negative angels that tried to kill, what well, did kill, a third of all humans on the earth. So when I read King James, I'm going to use King James English. It's not because I don't know updated English. Okay, Revelation 9 and 18. By these three was the third part of men killed by fire and by smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. I'm sure you, you get that prophetically. Okay. And 19, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. Let's not be the tail of some bureaucracy hurting others and saying, oh, well, it's not my fault. I was just doing my job. No. 20, and the rest of men which are not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts so let me get into the greek in in that verse verse 21 murders could be translated as slaughter sorceries is the word pharmakia pharmakia Fornication is the word porneia, porneia, which we get pornography from. Pornography is the writing of this evil. Thefts is kalemma, stealing or theft. Okay, so, so that's what Revelation has to say about trumpets. And on this portion of scripture, I happened to notice that F.B. Meyer had some comment. You know, he's in a commentary, a famous commentary, the Meyer commentary. So F.B. Meyer said, demons contrive to get themselves worshipped 
under the effigies of idolatry. So yes, so these these were idols, but they're demons. And so he's mentioning that. Demons contrived to get themselves worshipped under the effigies of idolatry, and murders, sorceries, fornication, and theft infest their temples. And if they control the world, then they infest the world. There is perpetual controversy between the spirit of truth and these perversities. How much more obvious is this today than when he wrote this back in, I think it was, 1800s? And this conflict must continue not only in the church but in the heart until everything that opposes the reign of the Spirit is overthrown and every thought is brought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. Is this supremacy of the Spirit secured for thee, my reader? good preacher. He brings it down to action. Our hearts, in our hearts, the supremacy of Christ should be secured. And if in our hearts, then in our congregations. And if in our congregations, then our cities. And if in our cities, our states. And if our states, our nations. And if our nations, the world. For God is the God of the whole world and not of a region only. Did we, did we talk about the trumpet used to announce the presence of the king and the trumpet used as worship? You know, I surely don't remember talking about it as worship, so let's do that. Second Samuel 6 and 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet and psalms. 47 5 through 8 God has gone up with a shout the Lord with the shout of a trumpet sing praises to God sing praises sing praises to our king sing praises for God is the king of all the earth sing ye praises with understanding God reigneth over the heathen God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness and lastly Psalm 150 and verse 3 praise him with the sound of the trumpet praise him with psaltery and harp so the trumpet was used in worship. Okay, that's not the order I meant to give it to you, but that's the order it came out. So that's the trumpet in the, what we call the Old Testament, canonical Hebrew scriptures. So in the New Testament, there is no overt mention of the Feast of Trumpets, although there is even of Hanukkah, Did you notice that? Hanukkah, which is not one of the seven feasts, was celebrated by Jesus' time because that came out of the Maccabean period. And it says in John that Jesus went up to the feast and it was winter. Well, that's Hanukkah. So he went up to, to the temple in Hanukkah. So it's interesting to me that of all the feasts, trumpets is not mentioned, but yet trumpets is very much the new testament is part of the feast of trumpets the antitype as it were and the church is very much part of the mystery of the feast of trumpets because the church trumpets forth god's glory or should on the other hand the new testament starts with the sounding of the trumpet so what did john the baptist preach he preached 
baptism of repentance. And then what did Jesus and his disciples come preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what they came preaching. And that's what the Gospels confirm that they were preaching. How often do you hear that preached today? Do you hear preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Maybe that's what we should be preaching. Okay, so the trumpet announces God's presence like Sinai. It's announcing of a warning about sin. It's a convocation and remembrance of God's actions in the world. It proclaims God's kingship. Of course, that's good news. And, of course, we're all called to preach that. We're all called to speak of those for our mouth is a trumpet. And, of course, I know you want me to get to the last trumpet. Okay? So, the last trumpet and the great trumpet. Uh, And I told you already before, if my understanding is correct, there is the last trumpet in the number of times that the trumpet is blown or was blown at the temple. But then there's the great trumpet on the Day of Atonement. So Leviticus 25 and 9, then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound through all of your land it's very interesting atonement and jubilee so that that would be a puzzle i think to to a jew why would you have the day of atonement and jubilee well we i don't know what the rabbis would say but to the christian mind clearly jesus being our atonement is bringing us freedom okay so so I know you want to get to those most famous scriptures so we're going to have first Thessalonians 4 and 16 first because as far as I can tell that was written first for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first So there's a shout, a voice of an archangel, and a trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So this is the scripture that everybody points to as the rapture. Okay, and then there's 1 Corinthians 15 and 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So this is everybody's changing. So here's the point where everybody is really paying attention because they want to hear my ruling on this. Okay, so I'm going to give you the best teaching that I can. You should be aware that there is a variety of opinion from Bible scholars. In the first place, there are three basic understandings of eschatology or the study of the end times. First, there's the post-millennial. Well, the Roman Catholic Church thinks the millennial was in the past. Okay. And then there's amillennial, the mostly reformed people who think that the millennium is uh, an allegorical situation and that it's in the hearts of people. It's not a literal thousand years. And they would argue that if everything else is allegorical in Revelation, then the millennial would be too. And so 
things will go on as they are until Jesus comes back and that's the end. And then, of course, there's the premillennials who think that the thousand years is literal, physical, and then among the premillennials, and those are the ones who teach more often about the end times, so this view is much more well known. And then among the premillennials are the pre-trip, mid-trip, and post-trip rapture people. And these are the people, and I would say among those, the pre-trib rapture are most popular and they cart around little charts or big charts and so so many of the believing church is waiting for Jesus to come and rescue them in bad times so they look for worse and worse times and they don't realize that there is any controversy they figure that anybody who sees it differently is simply an unbeliever and while of course there are there's plenty of unbelief. There, there are other camps, and the camp that doesn't think that there's a pre-trib rapture is much more likely to preach a, a, a radical maturity, a call. And so the sonship camp that came out of the latter rain is among this group. And in fact, in the group where I was trained as a young person, we believed in the rapture of the wicked. And there is a scripture in in um, Proverbs, I believe, that that's rooted in. Let's just go find that. Well, I think perhaps maybe it is Proverbs 2 and verse 22. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it or plucked up from it or rooted out from it. And then there is Jesus talking about Noah, where, in fact, it was the wicked who perished and the godly were saved. Of course, the rapture people would use that the other way around. And so this argument is very much rooted in Matthew 24 and verse 3. So Jesus says it's in the days of Noah. But then you get Matthew 24 and 41 and following where Two people are grinding and one is taken. It appears that the evil are taken. And then you also have Jesus talking about the angels gathering the harvest. You got the wheat and the tares, but the angels cut the tares first. And the the um, wheat remain. And so it's important from the Jewish-Israeli perspective that the righteous inherit the land. Okay, so there's two Bible perspectives here. And who am I to rule? Who am I to rule? Well, I think the most important part is that we not get caught up in these minutiae that we simply don't know. Now, I do think we should inquire. It's in the Bible. We should be reading the Bible. I don't think we should just throw up our hands with eschatology and go on. No, particularly when it's obvious that we're in the end times. And so even if we're in the last hour of a day, you figure out if a day is a thousand years, an hour still is several years long. And also in terms of pastoral wisdom. Okay, one thing is 
is Bible. Another thing is theology. And a third thing is pastoral wisdom. We see so many people with end time itis. So they refrain from doing what they should be doing because they're so mesmerized by the end times or they think the end times is so short. Like, should we have children? If the end times, you know, like we thought the group that I was in thought the tribulation was going to start in 1976. Now you can make fun of that. And the leader who said that didn't admit to it once 1976 came around. But he had said three or four years now when the tribulation starts. So he didn't say the words 1976 that I heard. But I heard plenty of preaching that you could calculate that out. Okay. And so those people today will refuse to whether they live on an end time farm or not, they may refuse to even prepare for disaster because they did that, they've done that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And, and they have a variety of opinions, so I don't mean to diss them, but in fact, I want to respect them and, and love them because they did apply themselves to the teaching. But what I want to point out is that there is a difficulty of paying too much attention to in time teaching and then not doing the other things that you know you're supposed to do. So the people who don't believe in a pre-trib rap, pre-trib rapture, are quick to point out that the people who do tend to not do anything. They don't contribute to the world. They may or may not, often not, preach the gospel. And those who believe that will be here during the tribulation may be more apt to uh, prepare for disaster, help reach out to charity, uh, you know, so they prepare in these ways, uh, and have, and some of them have really led in that over the past decade or more, and they're much more apt to worry about improving their own character. That's what our group, we didn't use the word character, but death to self and trying to become more perfect and more like Jesus, because the rapture might even be seen typologically or allegorically so that are we spiritual enough? Are we going to be able to jump up in the spirit? And I think this is a viewpoint that really needs to be looked at. You know, the first century people were slow to recognize Jesus as the Messiah because they wanted a military ruler, a military savior and not a moral, spiritual savior. And so humanity has had to come up a notch in their understanding a number of times. And it just may be that there is a, and I, I'm not teaching against a literal rapture, but there may be a more important spiritual component to that, that we become like Jesus. When we see him, we will be like him. So. And maybe character is much too limiting. In modern vernacular, we might say, become like Jesus in a vibrational state. And so worship, as well as service, and as well as self-restraint, is maybe very important. And we are seeing advances in, in consciousness science? I don't know. Let's keep it there, like Jesus, moving in the supernatural. And of course, we get in that spot through worship, but there's many different kinds of worship. So 
I don't know if we're going to introduce new words. I would be scared to do that, but just say like Jesus in all ways. I just want to point out all of these things. I I certainly have a lot of sympathy with the with the side that says don't use the rapture as a cop out. It's true. Back in the day when we had tape sales, anybody who came through town who would talk about the end times, there are a lot of tape sales for that. So people were interested to save their skins or interested for a great show. But how to become better evangelists or how to become uh, better people, no, not so many cassette sales for that. And probably not a single tape sale on how to do better charity. And today, yeah, today it's much worse. Today, we're just pushing government quote-unquote charity <laughs> with no program evaluation and and then having to resist that. So charity is not even on the plate to discuss. Service is not a value and servant leadership walked out the door with Queen Elizabeth II. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So this is an important warning. On the other hand, I am very convinced that there is something to this rapture deal. And I'm going to read to you out of 1 Thessalonians. Well, it says, when peace and safety, then destruction will come on as a travail. Okay. So there is a lot of work on trying to date these things. And I'm not sure that that's the, you know, the right end of the stick. But I'm very convinced here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, it says, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So it was pointed out that we know that there was a distinction between Egypt and Goshen in the the ten plagues. The the children of Israel did experience the first three plagues, but not all of them, because there was a difference. There was light in Goshen. And then when they were escaping, they saw the chariots come after them. But they were saved through supernatural intervention. Hallelujah. So I have to believe if the story of salvation means anything, that God can intervene in human history. Hallelujah. He seems to be slow. It <laughs> doesn't do it all the time, right? Because clearly he wants his children to grow up. This, can, this is the only rational explanation. So I take great comfort in this, that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I study the Feast of Trumpets, once again, I'm I am just struck by the extent to which that the the story about the rapture could be true. Because there's more than one Trump. <laughs> there's the Trump, you know, there's the last Trump, and then there's the great Trump. So that's very interesting to me. At any rate, whichever camp has got it right, and it's very likely that both camps have part of it right and part of it wrong, in either way, for sure this I know. 
the trumpets announce the coming of the king. The trumpets are for warning. The trumpets are for war. The trumpets declare that God is going to save his people and the trumpets are for worship. And so what are we supposed to do right now? What does this show forth in terms of what the people of God should be doing? We should be preaching the gospel like a trumpet. So in the old way, the Feast of Trumpets meant the ministry was trumpeting the revelation and that the, you know, so in the years between whatever, 60 whatever and 76, the ministry, this particular ministry in a very small corner (laughs) of the latter reign in a very small corner of all of Christendom, the Feast of Trumpets was about you, really? <laughs> and the tribulation was going to start at 76. So I want to be respectful that there was some revelation and that they were teaching about the feasts and hallelujah. But I think that the Feast of Trumpets really is talking about the trumpeting of the gospel. And this should be being done now. And we should be trumpeting the gospel and the full gospel, not just make a decision for Christ, as, although that's good. Let's do that. But there's a whole lot more. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So yes, revival and reformation. Okay. This is what we know to do anyway. This is what the Feast of Trumpets is about. So yes, enjoy your beautiful silver trumpet. Yes, enjoy your shofar and learning to blow your shofars. That's great. You hold in your hand a symbol that goes back to the Bronze Age. That's wonderful. And you're engrafted into that salvation history. Yes. And it has a culmination. Yes. And you're close to that culmination. You trumpet forth the coming of the king. The warning. The war. And the worship. Yeah. Well, that'll preach. Okay, the coming of the king of Zion, Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Hallelujah. Jesus' coming is both the great and terrible day of the Lord and the wonderful day of Maranatha, both of them, depending on who you are. Zechariah 9 and 10. Let me read several verses continuing in Zechariah 9. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even unto the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me and filled the bow with Ephraim and raised thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. So you see here, the trumpet includes the participation 
of the people as well as an announcement to the people. The Lord will save his people. Continuing on in Zechariah 9 and 14, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrows shall go forth as the lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make a noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. They shall drink and make a noise as through wine. Actually, we, we know some people like that. Believers who act drunk. Okay. <laughs> Zechariah 9 and 16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. And they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness, how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maid. This same preacher who brought laughing now for more than two decades, well, for us, something like two decades, to Christendom as part of worship. He is convinced that God loves his church so much, just like he loves his own wife so much. That anyone who touches it will have hell to pay. So he's a pre-trip rapture person. Something to that. Okay, so that's not a entire ruling. That's yes, I'm not gonna say believe in the rapture and just absolve yourself of responsibility. No, but the rapture is great comfort for we're not appointed unto wrath. But in the meantime, let's get on with it. The bride has made herself ready. So let's apply ourselves both to maturity and to trumpeting forth the good news. Now I said I was going to equip preachers in my teaching. So we should always preach to his decision. Every sermon should call people to a decision and to action based on that decision. You know, we in our day are so awash with information. We are get used to, we are and we do continually get used to a high information, low action ratio. <laughs> and so let this no longer be true. Let us follow oral arguments. Let's understand the meaning, apply it to ourselves, and do something. So preaching should be a declaration of God's kingship. And only within God's kingship is there salvation. There is salvation because there is judgment. Do you see? It's important that judgment start at the house of God so there can be salvation. And then there'll be judgment against people who hurt the children of God. This teaching on the Feast of Trumpets pre teaches the importance of preaching. That's true. But specifically pre preaching, that's the announcement of the Lord's presence, the Lord's warning against sin, the Lord's war against evil, and our worship. Hallelujah. 
So the great and terrible day of the Lord is good or bad, depending whether you're good or bad. But we all witness and we all tell forth. Yes, preachers are part of this, but we all witness. We all show forth. And think about how a trumpet is. A trumpet is loud. <laughs> a trumpet is loud amplification. That's what it is. We don't have, and we shouldn't have, muffles in our trumpets. That makes no sense. So let me in this with scripture. Joel 2 and verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Ezekiel 33 and 6. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned and the sword come and take away he's taken away in his iniquity but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. When he bloweth the trumpet hear ye. And finally, Isaiah 18 and 3. All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains and when he bloweth a trumpet, hear ye. Please be invited to write us at Sister at JesusPatternSon.org That's Sister at JesusPatternSon.org Or you may write us by land mail at P.O. Box 971 Cedar Park, Texas 78630 That's P.O. Box 971 Cedar Park, Texas 78630 And may the Lord bless you.